0: Good morning. I want to welcome you again to Munger Place. My name is Andrew. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad you're here today, and you're welcome here. If you've ever had the question about what to do when you're trying to do the right thing, but the right thing doesn't seem to matter, I'm glad you're here. If you've ever had the question about what to do, or how to be, how to to believe, when you've lost a loved one, when grief has come to you, I'm glad you're here today. If you've ever... Been wondering how, how does what I do every day, Monday through Friday, in my office and my field make a difference, and I'm glad you're here today, too. Before we begin, I'd like to have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, take my words and speak through them. Lord, let me decrease so that you can increase. Take our thoughts and think through them. Lord, conform our minds to yours. And Lord, Take our hearts and set them afire for you, for your world, and for your word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We have a story we like to tell in my family about my uncle. My uncle, you have to know, in the 1960s, barely graduated from high school, was just sort of a 'er ne'er-do-well. I always picture him at this time as being somebody wearing a leather jacket with a collar popped and a big pompadour and just kind of always combing his hair like that. I guess I've watched Happy Days too often, but that's how I think about my uncle. My uncle graduated from high school and got a job as a carpenter's assistant in the local school district. So one day the word came down that the the carpentry department needed to install a pencil sharpener in an elementary school classroom. So the carpenter, a grown man, and my uncle, the carpenter's assistant, a grown man, were both sent two grown men to install one pencil sharpener. Which just strikes me just about right, if, 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 as I've seen that kind of thing happen before. So they got down to the, the classroom, and they're wearing their big belts and trying to act as cool and as important as possible. And this little kid comes up to them. And this little kid, again, in my family's vernacular, is what we call a dumb little oyster. You know kids like that? A dumb little oyster is just a little kid. is just sort of in la-la land, lost in his own world, just going through about life, happy-go-lucky. So this dumb little oyster comes up to my uncle, the carpenter's assistant, And his boss, the carpenter, and looks up at him and says, what's going to happen? And the carpenter looked left and right, and then he looked at the kid and he said, Batman's coming, kid. And my uncle said it was just like electricity in the room, and the teacher was so ticked because the whole rest of that day was ruined from an instructional point of view. What's going to happen? That's not a question that's only appropriate for dumb little oyster, third-grade little boys. I think it's a question for adults as well. What's going to happen? And here we are at the end of our sermon series called Echo, and we're at that phrase about what is going to happen. We've been working the last two months through something called the Apostles' Creed, which is, this, which is nothing more than an ancient syllabus or uh, summary of, of the Christian faith. It's like the big foul lines on the playing field so we know what the, the stakes are. And it says things that you'd expect like we believe in God who is the creator. But here we are at the end in the last clause of the Apostles' Creed is we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It's a statement about what's going to happen. And I think it really matters. Because what you believe about then matters in the now. Then affects the now. For example... We are beginning the Christmas season. I guess the Christmas shopping season kicks off on Friday or in some ungodly places Thursday night. Can you believe that? And when the Christmas season begins, the Christmas reruns begin on television. And there's all these great Christmas movies, but there's one that you've probably seen that well, I'm sure, will be on the networks this year. It came out in 1989, and it's called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You've heard of this movie? Well, it, takes, uh, it follows around the activities of a guy named Clark Griswold, who's played by Chevy Chase. And Clark Griswold is sort of an idiot, and he's always trying to have everything perfect for a family, and it, it never goes that way. So he's there, and the whole movie follows his excitement expecting his Christmas bonus check. And he's so excited and anticipatory about this Christmas bonus check that he takes this imaginary money he thinks he's going to receive from his company... And he puts it into an in-ground swimming pool. He already goes ahead and puts the deposit on a swimming pool. So right before Christmas, there's a knock at the door, and the courier is there, and he hands Clark an envelope. And he says, oh, it's my Christmas bonus. And he gathers the whole family around, and they get kind of emotional. And he opens up the envelope, and instead of being his Christmas bonus, remember what it is? It's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club for the following year. Which is, as his cousin Eddie points out, the gift that keeps on giving all year round. He was counting on a bonus, and he spent money he didn't have to build a pool, and he ended up getting nothing more than a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. See, what you believe about then matters now. Let me give you another example. I was one time working with a landscaping company when I was out of high school. And I was sitting in the back of the truck one day, and I was taught that you don't litter. You just don't litter. You never do it. And a guy on my work detail decided he was going to eat some Vienna sausages. You know what those are? Yeah, I don't know what they are either. They're some mysterious meat product. So he opens up the can, and they have the Vienna sausages, and they're in that kind of gelatinous, yeah. We don't need to go there. It's Sunday morning. In any case, he ate a few of them, and then he took the whole can and just chucked it out the window. And I was aghast because I was taught not to litter. Because I believe the earth is the Lord's, and God cares about every part of it. And so we don't litter because we care about God's creation, that God is going to one day come back and redeem. See, what you believe about then matters how you live now, even on small ways. But can I give you a life and death situation? Now, I know that not all Muslims are terrorists, and not all terrorists are Muslims, and I know there's a lot of um, billions, in fact, of Muslims who don't believe like this there is a small and important group who believe that when they kill people and give their lives for it, God rewards them a certain way in the afterlife. We've all heard about this. See, what you believe about then matters now. So what are you believing about then? What is the s- story that you're believing? H- how are you putting your faith in the future and how is it affecting your now? That's what I want to talk about today. And so rather than this Part of the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, being something that just seems that it belongs in an encyclopedia or some book about theology, I actually think it affects what's going to happen to us this afternoon and tomorrow morning, etc. In fact, as I said before, if you've ever lived in the world and wondered how you're supposed to be faithful when the world around you is unfaithful, if you've ever wondered what to do when you've lost a loved one and you're carrying the weight of grief, or if you have ever wondered just how what you do in your job matters to God I believe that this part of the creed can speak to that we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 1 Corinthians 15 is this long complicated argument that the apostle Paul is making about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting as it says in the creed and the first things you have to understand about what the resurrection means is how the early church saw the resurrection of Jesus, this is verse 20 but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have been fallen asleep. The word firstfruits is important. This is because at the time of Jesus, what the Jews believed, they thought of history as like one long timeline. And at the end of time over here, there'd be something called the Day of the Lord. When the Messiah would come, put everything right and the dead would be raised up to new life. They believed in what's called a general resurrection of the dead at the end of time. What no one believed is that anybody would be resurrected in the middle of time, in the middle of history. This is why, although Jesus talked to his disciples, hey, I'm telling you, I'm going to be raised to life in three days, they never listened. In fact, this is why when they saw him murdered on the cross, they scurried away in fear, because nobody has ever come been raised from the dead in the, in the middle of history. But this is also why when they met the resurrected Christ, everything changed for them. Because what they realized is that what God is going to do at the end of time has started to happen now in the middle of time. The resurrection of Jesus is, as the Apostle Paul puts it in verse 20, the first fruits of what's going to happen. It's the first blades of grass in the springtime, it's the first blossom on the tree. It's an example of what's going to happen. And so what the early church came to believe is that what God is going to do at the end of history has started to happen in the middle of history of Jesus, which means the new creation, one day, has started to happen now. In fact, the Christian church's belief is that the then is already beginning now. And you can see this makes you understand Jesus' miracles in a whole different way. The reason he was healing people and feeding people and proclaiming release of the captives is because that's what God is going to do. And so in the miracles of Jesus, we see examples of how the world will be when God makes it right. There will be no more hungry. There will be no more sick. There will be no more lonely because they've been remade in the new creation. And so what the early church came to believe and what we say in the creed is that what happened with Jesus is going to happen to all those who are in Christ. And this also explains some of the weird parts of the gospel accounts of the resurrected Jesus. See, he, he looks a little bit different. They never recognize him at first, if you read at the end of the gospels. And although he does things like he, he can eat fish, and although he has scars in his hands that Thomas can touch, He also can come and go through locked doors, and he seems to be a little bit different. This is what Paul calls here, later on in chapter 15, this is verse 44, a spiritual body. Paul says, when we die, we die as natural bodies, verse 44, but when we're raised, we're raised as spiritual bodies. Which is sort of a contradiction in terms, but what Paul is trying to say is this, this new body, this resurrection of the body that we talk about, will be like the resurrected Christ, it's an embodied physical existence, but somehow it's a little bit different because it's a spiritual body. In fact, he says, it's like there's two different forces empowering them. We die as natural bodies, and we're raised with the Spirit empowering us. This is how you can have two different types of ships. You can have steamships, and you can have sailing ships. It's about what powers them at the resurrection of the body and the end of all things and the beginning of everlasting life in God, our bodies will be powered by the Spirit in the same way that the resurrected Christ's body was powered. Now you may be thinking, well, okay, what happens if I die at sea and the sharks eat my body? How's that going to work? Maybe you haven't ever thought that. I actually have never thought that either, but people in the church have been thinking about that, including St. Augustine in the 5th century, and this is what he wanted to know. If a Christian is eaten by a cannibal, what does God do at the resurrection of the dead? Now, I have to be honest with you. I have never once in my life been worried about being eaten by a cannibal. I guess I leave a sheltered existence. But Augustine's answer and the Apostle Paul's answer is, in a way, you're asking the wrong questions. You're trying to figure out these things that are almost impossible for us to understand. In fact, Paul says in verse 35, Someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And he says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. What Paul says is, listen, the relationship between our current physical life and the life that will come with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting is Going to be the same, but it's going to be different. In the same way that a little seed, and I hold a tiny seed in my hand, can produce a tree. And although that they are connected but also different in the same way, the current life will be related but also different from the life to come. It's sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body, Paul says. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But this, rather than just being something that seems fun to contemplate, it's vital to who we are right now. And it's vital for the exact same reasons that the resurrection of Christ was vital. See, Jesus said stuff like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he said, if an enemy hits you on one cheek, turn your other cheek. And he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust break in and thieves steal. Store up for yourself treasures on earth. He had all these beautiful statements. And then he was killed. And so if he had remained dead, it would be the same with anybody else who says nice sentimental things that have no basis in reality. That don't matter in the real world. I have a friend of mine who lost his son earlier this year. Before his time. And if I go to my friend and just say, hey, you know, Jesus said some nice stuff about life after death, it'll work out. If I say that to him and Christ had remained dead, my words would be empty words, just as the words of Jesus were empty. But the resurrection of Jesus vindicates everything that he said. It proves that God has the final word and not the Caesars of this world. What that means for you and me today and tomorrow and the next day is that we can trust that what Jesus says is right and will be vindicated. So tomorrow morning, you're at your office and you're given a choice. You can act with integrity and honesty or you can act with dishonesty and disloyalty. It may seem like that in this world, those who get ahead are those who stab in the back, who shortchange the truth. But the truth is, because Christ has been raised from the dead, and because we believe in the resurrection of the body one day, when God will make all things right, we know that God's way is the right way. And so if you are in the midst of a difficult decision, wondering if it's worth it to do the right thing, what this phrase of the creed teaches us is that the right thing will always be vindicated, and the things done in secret and wrong will be brought to light and will be judged. But more than that, more than that, this matters because what this doctrine says and what Paul reminds us is it means that those things that are done now in the Lord through the power of the Spirit have eternal significance. Here at the very end, verse 58, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not done in vain. You know that your labor in the Lord is not done in vain. <clears throat> now, we have people here who have jobs that might seem to have nothing to do with God. Maybe you're some sort of accountant or you work in commercial real estate or something and you, maybe you thought, you know, I want to use my workplace to serve the Lord but I don't know how it It can. I don't know how God cares about this deal or that marketing program, etc. But what Paul is telling us is that because we believe in the resurrection of the body and the everlasting life, then all of our actions now that are done in the power of God have eternal significance. It matters then whether you... It sounds funny. Whether The way you treat your employees is, is with excellence and integrity. Because things done in the Lord are not done in vain. It matters then whether you pride yourself on running excellent meetings or keeping your books really neat or giving the best presentation you can do because God can use all these things in the new creation. In fact, when we begin to act in the power of the Lord now, we're already beginning to live into the new creation. And so maybe what God needs from you is not to be in the pastoral ministry like me Maybe what God needs for you is to do whatever you're currently doing, whatever has been given you right where you are with what your hands have, but you do it in the power of God in the name of the Lord. And it has eternal significance. In the same way, I think, that a seed is sown and grows into a tree, our actions now, done with that kind of integrity and with that purpose and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God can use to grow something great out of them. I think one of the most beautiful things about the new creation will be and we look around and we can see how God used us to play a part in what he was going to do. And what if the part that you have to play is just to be to exercise integrity in a small area tomorrow? What to if greet with kindness one of your family members who's coming over for Thanksgiving this week? But more than that, more than that, this doctrine matters because of what we all know about life, and that is that death is very powerful. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've lost a loved one and the grief is heavy on you, but if it hasn't happened yet, it will. My friend, who lost his son this year, I went to the funeral, and the funeral we recited the Apostles' Creed, we said, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and my friend carries the grief, and it's a heavy burden, as death always is. But he also carries hope, knowing that death doesn't have the final word. Just as Christ was raised to new life, and just as that vindicated everything that he had said, in the same way, our belief in the resurrection of the body means that even those who die can be raised to new life in Christ. The people from whom you're separated now, and it seems like forever because of death, you will not be separated them from, uh, from them forever, In fact, in the great scheme of things, it only seems like a little while that we sleep in death until Christ comes and raises us to new life. See, what we believe about then matters now. And there's a part of you, whether you're a religious person or not, when you look at somebody who dies young or even dies old, and you look at the way the world goes, and you think, this can't be right. This can't be the way things are. Now, that feeling that you have doesn't prove that the church's message is true. In the same way, it doesn't prove the existence of air by seeing birds with wings. But the fact that birds have wings says there might be something else going on in the air. And the fact that you and I, in the deepest part of ourselves, have a feeling that says death can't have the final answer, things can't end up like this, I'd say is a desire that's been put there by God that certainly points the way To this clause of the creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In fact, you could put it like this. You could say that all this are just signposts pointing off into a distant, foggy, misty future. And you'd be right. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, you know, when we talk about these things, it's like looking through a glass darkly. I like to imagine looking through the bottom of a Coke bottle. You can see shadowy images, but you can't get the full picture. And so if all we had were these signs pointing to the future, we might be lost as to which way to go. But the truth that the church proclaims is that one has come out of the future, so to speak. One has already been raised from the dead and comes back to point the way to us. Christ is the first fruits of those who will be raised. This is why when he says, I am the way, it can almost be literally true. He says, come the way that I'm going. And so to you and me today, faced with the grief of our world, a sense of hopelessness, the question, do my actions even matter? The church says, yeah, because we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And what Jesus is saying to you and I is, just come. Follow me. Come the way that I've gone. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in me is the resurrection of the body, and I can give the life everlasting. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, man, we have the faith to believe and the courage to follow. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand up. And we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. Now, maybe this is your first Sunday joining us. You haven't heard us work through some of these clauses. Some of them seem difficult. There's some phrases that seem strange to us. There's a phrase that says, we believe in the holy Catholic church, which is, is just a way of talking about the church universal in all times and places. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit. When we say these things, we aren't saying, Lord, we get it all and we know it all exactly. We're saying, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. So let's say these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated.